0: All right, so when we so this is uh, in a in a way this is systematic theology, and when we do systematic theology, I thought about actually like having a couple slides on this, but I'll I'll just bore you for no, I'll just explain for just a minute. You have to track with me though, just stick with me. So when as what we should be doing when we talk about systematic theology. Uh, what we want to do is we want to start with the scriptures, okay? So, we read through the whole Bible, and there are certain categories that um, biblical scholars from the early church have defined as particularly important. There's 10 of them, okay? And and now, in the last 100 years, 170 years, there are 50 years, there's been an, an 11th one added to that, okay? But, In church history, the early church had debates and struggles and councils uh, and gatherings of pastors and elders after the apostles were off the scene to discuss very important um, doctrines. The doctrine of inspiration is one of them. What is inspired, what text is inspired, and which one isn't? Because the one that's inspired is authoritative and tells us what to do. So we need to know the difference. That was one of the very first ones. The Trinity is a, is a big issue. Who is God? Who is Christ? Who is the Holy Spirit? How do we explain the Trinity? So the Trinity is a big one. Obviously, salvation is a big one. Going back, you know, is is Jesus both God, very God, man, very man? Was He God who appeared to be a man? Was He a man who had the Holy Spirit of God rest upon Him? I mean. All of these questions are theological questions that came up early on in the church. And uh, so you have uh, inspiration of scripture, you have bibliology, you have God, theology, proper, Christology, which is the study of Jesus Christ, pneumatology, pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, Uh, you have salvation, uh, soteriology, sin, which goes along with that, Hammer theology, Uh, Ecclesiology, what is the church? Um, Anthropology, what is man? And then finally, uh, eschatology and times. Okay, so these are the ten doctrines that the church in its early phases uh, really tried to hammer out. These are the big questions. And so they get passed down to us as these are the big questions that the Bible deals with. Uh, but the Bible is, the, is our authority for studying this. So what we do is we read through the scriptures and we say, what, what do all the scriptures teach us about the Holy Spirit? And we go through, and then we try to categorize them. Well, here's a passage that talks about his work in creation. And here's another one that talks about his work in creation. And here's another one that sounds like it's talking about his work in creation. So we'll take it. Um, and sometimes you'll hear Pastor and, and me over the, the years that we've been here together um, just a little bit, because he's trained as a systematic theologian. And, it, and systematic theology is really, really hard. Uh, I learned this by, tr- by substituting for Kevin Bowder on a couple classes uh, where I was filling in on um, the filioque uh, clause, which is uh, the question of, is it the Father alone who sends the Spirit, or is it the Father and the Son who both send the Spirit? And you say, well, what difference is that? Well, ask any Eastern Orthodox person if that makes a big difference. So, it, it does. But anyway, uh, just preparing for that one lesson, systematic theology has to know the entire Scripture. It has to know the church history, how people debated these Scriptures over the last 2,000 years. It has to understand as dispensationalists how things might change from one dispensation to another, which is one reason we're talking about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We're lumping four dispensations together. Um, we're talking about how things might change. Then you look at uh, practical theology, and you say, "Well, how how is this uh, uh, preached? How is it taught? How is it applied?" You include that. You also have to include, to some extent, philosophy, especially in conversations like on the Holy Spirit. So as a systematic theologian, you basically have to know everything. And that's how our our pastor was trained. He was trained to know everything. Now, I was trained in biblical theology, which is not contrary to systematic theology, but I was trained in the Old Testament. So I have focused, my training is more focused on what is in this case, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Now, that includes some of what's being taught in the Gospels, which I'm not going to get into. But John 3 is Jesus teaching Nicodemus what the Old Testament taught about the Holy Spirit. So even though it's in John, it's an Old Testament passage. Um, so, But I'm not going to do that. Uh, Pastor and I kind of want to work through that some other way. So anyway, um, that passage. But, so I'm kind of focused on that. And uh, sometimes the biblical theologians will say, well, that verse doesn't really mean, doesn't really apply, that verse doesn't really mean that the Spirit was involved in creation. And the systematic theologian will come along and say, yeah, but the words Spirit and creation are both found within the same verse, so it must. And we're like, no, no, that's not what it means. You know, so... We pick on each other a little bit, not that Pastor does that, but he probably finds some verses that support something that I, I don't find in there. But anyway, it's not, it's, those are little things that we, uh, we poke at each other on. All right, so, uh, so today we're talking about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Oh, so I said all that about looking at the scriptures because we are going to look at a lot of scriptures today. So, if you have your uh, if you have your Bibles, you want your Bibles to be handy. And uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of a lot of stuff. Now, so I'm going to go over an overview. There's there's one place where I might slow down a little bit, and there's one place I'm going to skip um, because Pastor might want me to take one one Sunday afternoon just to talk about. Old Testament prophecies about the role of the Holy Spirit in the future in the future to us um, in a future dispensation so I'm not going to talk about that today alright so the role of the Holy Spirit so we're going to talk about different things here that that, uh, as we look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament so the first question is how do I identify the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament now if you know any Jewish people you will know that they do not hold to a trinity. Okay, they don't hold to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons and one substance or one essence. Uh, they believe that God is God alone, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, Yahweh Echad, the Lord is one. And uh, that's a very important doctrine to Jewish belief, and it is to this day. So, they, they struggle with the idea of a Trinity. And as Trinitarians, we look back at the Old Testament and we say, well, in the New Testament, uh, we're, it seems pretty clear that we have the Son and that the Son is God, but the Son is not the Father. We have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit is not the Son and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But what about in the Old Testament? Do we still see some of these same distinctions in the Old Testament? And they're, they're more difficult to, uh, to come back to because if you read it from the Jewish mindset, you're like, no. No, it never was there. It wasn't there. It's not there. But when you read it from a Trinitarian perspective, you say, well, maybe it, it was. And maybe you should have noted that there was something going on here. At least a question mark in the back of your head that needed more um, uh, more explanation. So, first passage we're going to look at, we're going to look at three to talk about identifying. How do we identify the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? And the first passage is Acts chapter 2. And um, we're going to look at three passages, two of them in Acts. And we're going to see how, uh, how do we uh, identify the Holy the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I'm going to grab my water. <clears throat> All right. So two sixteen through twenty one. Um, okay. So uh, for the sake of my voice, <laughs> is there a volunteer to read? Uh Logan
1: whoops oh no, you.
0: So in a couple of places here, Peter says, uh, he quotes from Joel, Joel chapter 2, uh, verse 28 and following. And he says, in the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he says it again in verse uh, 18. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So he's So Peter is saying, that God is saying that he's going to pour out his spirit on uh, on the people. And, and this is almost a direct quotation from Joel 28 and 29, um, where it says, It shall come to pass afterwards that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. All right, so... <clears throat> This is God pouring out his spirit. And the ESV, when I was studying for this, I noticed that any time the ESV translators believe that it's the Holy Spirit, they capitalize the S. Because it doesn't say Holy Spirit. It just says, I'll pour out my spirit. God says, I'll pour out my spirit. So, uh, in the in this passage. All right, so, and then, in Acts 1-8, talking about the spirit... Uh, This is what Jesus says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Okay, so uh, Peter says the Holy Spirit came upon you. Or God says, I will pour out my Spirit. Jesus says, it's my Holy Spirit. And uh, so he's equating the Spirit in Joel 2. So we're going from Acts one eight, Jesus calls him the Holy Spirit. Joel or Acts two, Peter calls him my spirit, God's spirit, they're the spirit of God, and then he's quoting Joel, or he quotes that in Acts two as my spirit. So, um, so the the Old Testament expression for God's spirit is either the spirit of God or my spirit, which is literally the spirit of me. Again, that's the way Hebrew works. So when we're reading the Old Testament and we see God speaking and he says, my spirit, or we see the phrase spirit of God, then we know that we're looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, It can be ambiguous at times as to whether it's God's spirit or a man's spirit. We're not going to look at those examples. But sometimes in a psalm, especially in poetic sections, you're wondering whose spirit the psalmist is referring to. Uh, And so sometimes it can be ambiguous. So when we look at the Old Testament, we're looking for for the Spirit of God or we're looking for God saying my Spirit in particular. All right, so where do we see this? Well, number one, where do we see the Spirit of God in the Old Testament? Uh, We do see him in creation. And we know that when we read the creation account in Genesis 1, we know that um, God is the one who's creating. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God was the creator. We know from the New Testament that Jesus also is the creator from Colossians, and that he upholds everything right now by the word of his power. And that is to say, if Jesus, it's kind of like Jesus is holding on to the universe, the material universe. And if Jesus ever decided to let go of it, the entire thing would be destroyed, like nuclear catastrophe type of thing. Okay, but as long as Jesus has his hand on it, then the universe holds together and this is a mystery of of um, of physics. be interesting conversation for JP uh, actually all right so uh, so Genesis one two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so here we have the phrase, the Spirit of God. And we just noted that it's either my spirit when God is speaking or the Spirit of God, God's Spirit. Uh, Otherwise, is what we're looking for to let us know that this is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit had an act in creation. Now, Genesis one one, I take to be a title introducing the whole creation account in, in chapter 1, I should say. The creation account in, in chapter 1. There's a major break in the Hebrew between verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis 1. In fact, the, I think the King James Version says, now, now the earth was filled. Formless and void, or something like that. And the Spirit of God is upon the face of the deep. And so, um, uh, yeah, without form and void. Um, so the idea here is that the physical universe is created, but the Holy Spirit has some uh, active, he's some active participant in the creation, created order. Uh, Now, we aren't told what his active participation was. But it does appear here from 1-2 that he was uh, an active participant. He's there. Job 26 Job 26 in verse 13. This is Job speaking. uh, And Job 25 through 29 is a soliloquy by Job. I don't know if you remember. I think we taught on this one time. But Job has a really long, five chapters long, place in the book of Job where he is speaking correctly about who God is. Uh, And Job 26 is in the middle of this. He's talking about how great and majestic God is uh, in his creation. So 2613, um, does someone want to read that? That one? Anyone? No, Leighton? La la la, Leighton? Okay. Now, the word for wind here in our ESV translation is the word, same word in Hebrew for spirit. Uh, I should have mentioned this before in 1-2. So if you talk to a Jew today about creation and he is, um, I don't know, you'd have to, be some kind of uh, modern progressive thinking Jew. He's going to look at Genesis one two and he's going to say that there's that it's not the spirit of God that was hovering over the deeps, but it was a it was a great wind that was uh, circling over um, the created order. Okay, I've actually heard I've actually had a Jew explain that to me as actually the Big Bang uh, was uh, is being presented in chapter one verse two of Genesis. But it's because the same word for spirit and for wind, they're the same word in Hebrew. Uh, And actually, it's very similar in Greek uh, uh, also. So so the wind here, by his wind, by God's spirit, is what what you could translate it, uh, the heavens were made fair. They were made beautifully. Okay, it's the idea of Job. And so this is one of those verses that could uh, very well be referring to the Holy Spirit. Uh, ESV translators have translated it as wind uh, more literally. And then Isaiah 32, Isaiah 32 and verse 15. Does someone have that who would like to read it? Actually, if you can read 14 and 15. Judson? For For the palace is forsaken. So there's Isaiah's prophesying of a future time when the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon, upon the people of Israel. And it's going to be part of the restoration of the promised land because he goes right into the, the wilderness will be fruitful. Sorry. Um, and all of the good things that are going to happen, justice, righteousness, people living in peace. Um, all of those promises. So the Holy Spirit will be um, part of the renewal of uh, the promised land in the future. So it's not actually creation of the universe passage, but uh, he will have a role in that. All right. So the Holy Spirit has, um, uh, has something to do with creation, creation of the universe. All right. The Holy Spirit also has something to do about prophecy. Um, let's start with I think I'll have to start at the beginning right so let's start with Ezekiel if you go to the book of Ezekiel Isaiah Jeremiah Ezekiel jump over lamentations Uh, Ezekiel is a prophet of God and he says in chapter 2 I'll just read verses 1 and 2 he says uh, and he said to me son of man this would be the Lord saying to Ezekiel, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. Okay, so the the Old Testament prophets, uh, including Ezekiel, their ability to prophesy was um, from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave them that ability. And you'll see the other verses that I have up here, eight, three, eleven, one, eleven, twenty-four, all talk about Ezekiel being filled with the Spirit to prophesy. Uh, Balaam, going back to Numbers twenty
1: four.
0: Now remember, Balaam was hired to curse Israel. And every time he opened his mouth, a blessing came out. Why did a blessing come out every time he opened his mouth? All right. So Numbers twenty-four, verses one and two. Does anybody anybody have that? Would you like to read it for me? Help me save my voice. Uh, Jacob. Him, and he took up his discourse. And said. Okay, so Balaam, here's a prophet, not necessarily the Lord's prophet even, but hired to prophet, prophesy against Israel, and uh, the Lord's Holy Spirit came upon him to enable him to prophesy. And then it even happens to Saul in 1 Samuel 10, 6. Saul is um, he's looking for David. He's pursuing David and he happens to bump into a bunch of prophets. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and Saul begins to prophesy. And then they make fun of him for prophesying. Um, but uh, that's the story for uh, 1 Samuel. So um, of Saul. Alright. Uh, so the Holy Spirit is involved in creation, prophecy. Uh, Inspiration. Now, I've split prophecy and inspiration apart. Does anybody know why I would split those two things? I would separate them? Olivia? Not all inspiration is prophecy? Okay. It's the other way around, Olivia. Inspired things are written down. So all inspiration is prophecy, but not all prophecy is inspiration. Um, So again, more Venn diagrams for you logic people who can't wait to get back into school. Um, So inspiration has to deal with what is written down. Many of the Old Testament prophets spoke as God commanded them to speak, but their oracles were not written down. So it's not true to say that they were inspired it is true to say that they spoke the Word of God, but prophets aren't inspired, their writings are inspired. That's an important, uh, important distinction, especially in light of what I mentioned earlier about Pentecostal and charismaticism. All right, so inspiration. Second Peter: 121. this is an important, important passage. 2 Peter 1, 21. Someone want want to read that? Logan? Yeah, I should have had you read 20 and 21. My fault. You look up in verse 20... Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture. Okay, so that's why we're talking about something written. Scripture is something that's been written. Uh, so these men who are carried along by the Holy Spirit are writing something, and it, uh, they're, writing, they're writing the Scriptures. Um, let's jump back to Acts, Acts one sixteen. Someone want to read this one? One sixteen. Uh, Lincoln. Yep. So the Holy Spirit spoke but it has to do with what David wrote um, so this is the Holy Spirit working through David um, and then 2nd Timothy three sixteen, which you should know if you don't have memorized this is another good verse to memorize um, someone have that one Sebastian does Sebastian So all scripture is breathed out by God. And there again, we talk about the Holy Spirit. That word for spirit is also the word for wind. It's also the word for breath. Same is true in many languages, um, as a matter of fact. Uh, Like, we even say this, if you fall down on your back and you lose your breath, you can't breathe. Say you got the wind knocked out of you. So this is common in a lot of languages. But anyway, breathed out is the idea there. 2 Timothy 3.16. All right, so creation, prophecy, inspiration. um, And then, this has always been a very interesting one. Oops, Uh, I guess you get to see that verse right away. There are special skills in the Old Testament uh, where God specifically comes to someone, gives them a special talent, and then uh, for a special task. So um, Bezalel is the, the greatest example. Exodus 31 Exodus is farther back before Leviticus. All right, Leander, do you want to read verses 3 through 5? Very good. So, and then in verse 6, he, he gives them some helpers as well, and they all are given this ability uh, to do this. Now, what they're, what they're doing is they're going to build the tabernacle. And as people who were raised uh, with the ability to make bricks out of clay, uh, that was about all they knew how to do. So, you have to remember when the people of Israel left Egypt, they weren't soldiers. They weren't farmers. They weren't shepherds. They weren't goat herds. Um, They they had one skill. They made bricks out of clay with or without straw. That's what they did. And they did it for generations. So uh, they get out in the wilderness and God says, you're going to build me a tabernacle and it's going to have woven curtains and it's going to have plated gold and it's going to have all this intricate design uh, of goldsmithing and bronzesmithing and silversmithing and blacksmithing and all of this stuff that we need you to do. But none of you know how to do this. So God gives to uh, Bezalel and a number of men from the tribe of Dan a special ability to help them build the tabernacle. Now what we don't know is whether that... Left them after the tabernacle was finished. Like, tabernacle's up, hooray! Now, hey, can you make this for us? And they're like, nope. I, I've, you know, I lost it. Or was it that God gave them that ability, and and then they began to teach others uh, throughout the the history of Israel? Uh, we're not sure. Aaron evidently made a crude uh, rendition of a golden calf. So. Although, actually, he just threw the gold in the fire and the calf jumped out. But, um, so I, I, I don't know what skill he had there. Maybe he didn't have any real skill with that. All right, so this is an, this is an interesting passage about the Holy Spirit uh, in the Old Testament. Um, all right, another one is administration. And we see this from the lives of a few different people in the Old Testament. Um, we start with Joseph. So we go back to Genesis 41, go back to the patriarchs, and this is, uh, oh, I guess they aren't all patriarchs, 41 and verse 48, Leander, you want to read this one? Oh, that's obviously the wrong um, that's not the right verse is it was it supposed to be fourth,
1: or hold on
0: Well, bad teacher. Do I have it right over here? Whoops. What? 37? Verse 37 just before. Um. Oh, okay, yeah. So, verse 37, and I'm just looking to see if I... I may have had it right here. Oh, yeah, verse 38. I do. I've got it right in my notes. Okay. So, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants... And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God is, or is the Spirit of God? So verse 38. Uh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. So there the Spirit of God is equated with God himself, by the way. And, um, and it's given the wisdom to Joseph to understand not just the dream that Pharaoh had, but what to do about the vision, and how? what's the wisest way to handle it. Okay, so then the next one is Numbers 11. And this passage is where Moses is overworked. And his father-in-law says, Moses, you're overworked. You need some help. So Numbers 11.25 Maybe 24 and 25. Someone have that one? 24 and 25. Logan? So and what that means is the spirit came upon them they started prophesying and then they stopped prophesying so that the prophecy there is actually a sign that the spirit came upon them to do the counseling and leadership administration that Moses was appointing to them okay that's the idea there they prophesied and they didn't keep doing that um so there it was um, it was a it was a sign I would say very similar to Acts uh, chapter two and to Acts chapter ten. Okay, so this is back in the Old Testament, um, and then Joshua Deuteronomy thirty four verse nine. Oh oh wow, I guess I got that one. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, in the ESV here, the letter S is lowercase. So that tells you that the ESV translators do not take this as the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom. Um, but they take it as a generic uh, wisdom that came upon him. Uh, but it could be taken either way. So that's, that's an ambiguous passage. All right. Uh, then we have Judges. So in the book of Judges, you can cheat by just going to the book of Judges. Uh, We'll look at just a couple of these as examples. But Othniel 3.10 says the spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord gave uh, Kushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand and his hand prevailed over Kushan Rishathai, who has a very good Mesopotamian name. Uh, Gideon. There you are. Just seeing if you're awake there, Gideon. Uh, Judges 634. Does someone have Judges 634? Logan again. Okay, very good. So Gideon, the Holy Spirit, came upon him, clothed him, it says, and he sounded the trumpet. And Samson, 1419, and there's others as well, but these are just a few to look at. And everyone, you know the story of Samson. It's one of the longer ones in Judges. 1419, he says, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, rushed upon Samson, And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Um, So Samson, the Spirit of the Lord, would come upon him and he would do great things. Same with the other judges, Gideon and Othniel. Uh, They would do these great things when the Spirit was upon them. All right, and then I think the last one we're going to look at today and just spend a little bit of time here is the Holy Spirit in relation to kings. Now, the reason this becomes a little bit more important is uh, two. There's two reasons. This becomes a little bit more important. One is um, there's a couple verses where we have to understand what the Holy Spirit's ministry is and what it is not. Otherwise, we might be confused. And then the other is this pertains to the Messiah, kings kings of Israel. And so we have to be careful as we talk about that. Like pastor said last week, when you get into the Trinity, it's really easy to become a heretic. I mean, you can just, oops, I misspoke that. Boom. And that's heresy. So we have to be really careful. And we're talking about the, whole, the, the king, the future Messiah, whom we know as the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the second member of the Trinity. So... This becomes another, another point there. All right, so Saul, let's look at, the, we sometimes call it theocratic anointing because theocracy, it's the king, God is reigning as king over Israel, or it's God's representative who's reigning as king over Israel. So that's why it's called theocratic. And the anointing is not anointing by oil, but it's anointing by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so sometimes you see that phrase. I just wanted to put that up there. All right, Saul. So, one Samuel ten. Now, I skipped this one Samuel ten before because I wanted to come, I knew we were coming back to it. All right, one Samuel ten ten. Uh, someone have that one, Leander? Okay. Now. In chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, Samuel has just anointed Saul as king over Israel. And that is the anointing with oil. Okay. Saul, Samuel, as you recall the story, does not like Saul. <laughs> and he did not want Saul to be king. Actually, he wanted nobody to be king. There's a lot in the story of Samuel where Samuel is arguing with God about whether or not the people of Israel deserve a king and uh, it's a great story, one that you should you should spend some time looking at. But he anoints him with oil earlier in the passage, and then Saul, as I mentioned earlier, he's walking down the road, and he bumps into this group of prophets They're, who are like, it's like a parade, right? They're coming down from a high place with harp, high place meant a place of sacrifice. They're coming down from a high place with tabernacle, uh, tambourine flute lyre and they are prophesying so it's like uh, it's kind of like a parade um, but they're prophesying and Saul is just standing there like hey look a bunch of prophets and they're having a parade and there's music and they're prophesying isn't that neat where's the candy I mean, this is kind of what Saul's doing like you know where are they throwing candy out and while he's standing there, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he begins to prophesy with the other prophets. And uh, in fact, Samuel later is like, what is going on? Even Saul now is a prophet, he says. Uh, he says that later down, down the way. Um, so Saul is anointed king Then Saul has the Holy Spirit come upon him. And this is what we call the theocratic anointing. He now has the Holy Spirit to give him guidance as king over God's people. It's to help him, to give him wisdom, to give him guidance, to give him power, to give him what he needs to reign over God's people, Israel. Now we look at 1 Samuel 16, 14. And this is the verse that confuses some people. Now, in 1 Samuel 16, 14, Samuel says, Now the Spirit of the Lord, okay, Spirit of the Lord, departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now there are some people who say, Well, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit departed from from Saul, like when we're saved, we get the Holy Spirit. He indwells us, and now the Holy Spirit has left Saul. So that does that mean that the Holy Spirit, once we're saved, the Holy Spirit can leave us, which means we've lost our salvation? Like, like how does that happen? But this isn't talking about salvation. Saul wasn't saved when he bumped into the parade of of uh, of prophets. Okay, he had just been anointed king with oil. Then the Holy Spirit came upon him. He prophesied as an outward show that the Holy Spirit came upon him. And people knew that Saul was their king. Okay, So that's what happened. This has nothing to do with salvation. This has to do with Saul ruling over Israel. So Saul was anointed king. He gets the Holy Spirit. Saul sins against the Lord. And the kingdom is taken away from Saul, and so is the Holy Spirit. All right, so hold that thought. David, look at the verse before. Psalm 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Okay, so here's David. David is anointed king. The Holy Spirit comes upon David, is rushed upon David from that day forward. And then the very next verse is the Holy Spirit is taken away from Saul. So between 1613 and 1614, we have a change in the ruler of Israel. Saul's anointed. Saul receives the Holy Spirit. Saul's the king over Israel. Saul sins and the kingdom is taken away from him and given to David. How do we know? David's anointed. David receives the Holy Spirit. David is now the rightful king and he has the Holy Spirit to guide him as the rightful king over Israel. Now, there's still many years of conflict that go on because from 1 Samuel 16 to the end of 1 Samuel is, uh, when Saul dies, the last verses of 1 Samuel, is this conflict between who is actually the king of Israel. Saul continues to try to hold on to his reign, even though he knows it's been taken from him. Even to the point in which he tries to kill David on several occasions. David, who is the rightful king and has multiple opportunities to kill Saul... Never does, even though David is the rightful king. Now, look at Psalm 51. One more piece to the puzzle. Psalm 51. This is after David's sin with (coughs) Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. And the verse we're looking for, uh, I don't have down here. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, verse 11. David says in verse 11, Psalm 51, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now again, there are people that will teach that a a Christian can lose their salvation and here's the evidence. The Holy Spirit will be taken away from you when you sin. That's not at all what's going on here. David has sinned with Bathsheba he's committed murder of Uriah and remember Saul sinned against the Lord and what was the result of that the kingdom was taken away from him and so was the Holy Spirit in order to rule what has David done David has sinned and he knows that as a consequent of his sin God has every right to take the kingdom away from him and therefore the Holy Spirit, to rule away from him. Nothing whatsoever to do with salvation. Okay, This has to do with David's ability to rule. Now, God's going to come to David in chronology and give him the promise uh, that his son is going to reign after him. Okay, Saul's son, Jonathan, did not reign after him. We heard that in Chris Watson's sermon a couple weeks ago. Or a few weeks ago now. And, um, and so this is David saying, you, you know, I want to continue reigning, and God giving David a promise that you will continue reigning, and so will your son after you and the son after him, all the way to the, the Messiah. All right, so this is not dealing with salvation. It's not dealing with indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is a special ministry of the Holy Spirit that pertains to the kings of Israel, where he gives them divine power and wisdom and authority and understanding to lead God's people. And therefore, he, can, he comes to them when they are anointed. He's removed from them or can be removed from them uh, if, uh, if they sin and God takes the kingdom away from them. All right, so what about the Messiah? Isaiah 61. Oops. Uh, Isaiah 61 this verse should sound familiar the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. And he goes on. But Jesus quotes this passage, as you recall, in the chapters in Luke, and the pastor mentioned this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Okay, so the Messiah means anointed one. Psalm 2 is a psalm about the Anointed One, the King of Israel. Um, And so we see that the Anointed One here includes, again, the Holy Spirit. So Christ is anointed with the Holy Spirit when he comes to reign over his people Israel. Now, I won't be able to get into it today, and I think somewhere along the line we'll cover it. But this leaves open the question, when the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove at his baptism, was this the anointing of the Holy Spirit for his kingly ministry? And I would say, I think so. But his kingdom was not established on earth, so there's coming a future day, when he will again be established as the rightful king of Israel. And I believe that there will be another anointing. There might be another anointing at that time. There might be another one. Uh, there might not need to be another one because he was already anointed once. So that's, there's some discussion there. All right, so this is a theocratic anointing. And um, there's some other verses there in Isaiah. And you can see I put a question mark at the end uh, to leave that to a little open-ended. All right, so that's a little bit about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. There's actually a lot.